with me to John chapter 20. We will be looking at verses 24 through 31. If you are using the Pew Bible, it is found on page 1075. And this story is one that we actually just sang about. It is of doubting Thomas. And there is a temptation when we read this story to be like, I'm glad I'm not that guy. To be known for all of the Christian church as doubting Thomas has to be rough. It's not just Thomas, it's, it's doubting Thomas. And yet, some of us feel that way this morning. And all of us feel this way at some point in our life, that we doubt, we struggle. So let's keep that in mind as we read this, that it's a reflection of us and Thomas, but also have hope, because at the end of the passage, it's going to answer Thomas's doubts, and it answers ours as well. So this is a reading from John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with him. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger in here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Jesus did other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we doubt. Some of us are doubting today, and some of us recognize times that we have doubted, that we've questioned, that we've, we don't know what's going on, and, and sometimes we handle it well, but most of the time we handle it poorly, and we question your goodness. We pray this morning as we read this passage that it can give us encouragement. Not that it answers all the questions that we potentially have of the particulars of our situation, but instead it answers the eternal hope that we have purpose, that we have meaning, that you have come to give us life. We pray that as we hear these words that we are refreshed, that we are renewed, and that you continue to help us pursue the life of faith that you have given us in this world. In your name, amen. Do you doubt God? Do you have questions for God? Now, maybe you sitting here this morning think, of course not, I'm here, right? I'm in church. Like, this would be a bad place to doubt God. But this is actually one of the best places. And there's times for all of us where we doubt God. The times where it is dark, those times where we sin, where those doubts start creeping in of, is God really good? For example, there might be times of doubts when you experience the death of a loved one. C.S. Lewis, the author of Chronicles of Narnia and numerous books on the Christian life, experienced death of his wife, Joy. And this is what he wrote when they found out that she had been diagnosed with an incurable cancer. He said, the sentence of death has been passed and the end is only a matter of time. It was three years. Three years of them going through treatment, 
three years of them going through the preparation, and eventually three years of them going through the goodbyes. And C.S. Lewis, the writer that he is, and, and the man of faith, had to write, and he, he wrote this, and he said, what happened? Where was God? And on his book, reflecting on the death of his wife, Joy, called A Grief Observed, he wrote this about his doubt of God. He said, when you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing God, so happy that you are tempted to feel God's claim upon you as an interruption, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to God when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and the sound of bolting and double bolting of the locks. And after that, silence. Some of you feel that way this morning. You are struggling with burdens that you don't want to speak out loud, whether the death of a loved one, whether depression, whether family problems, whether health scares, maybe even doubt of your faith or doubt of God, and you feel like all you hear from God is silence, and it is scary. What do you do with all this doubt? And we have to be honest, all of us doubt at times. It's not just the atheist, because Right now, maybe you're in a position where you feel like, I'm very confident that God is real, but what about those times of sin? We may say in the minute that I am a Christian and that I believe in God, but when we sin, what we end up doing is believing the lie the sin told us and doubting the goodness and truth of our God. So I want to say this morning, if you are doubting, welcome. You are sitting among other doubters, but we have resurrection hope and truth, and peace from God that will overcome every doubt and every sin. God answers Thomas's doubts, and he's going to answer ours as well. So to help us think through doubt this morning, we're going to answer three questions. How do we typically doubt? How does God deal with doubts? And then ultimately, how do we end up doubting well? So how do we typically doubt? Like we said, everybody doubts at times, so what are some of the ways that we handle those doubts? Well, look at how Thomas handled his doubt in verse 25. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Unless God disproves my doubt the way that I want him to do it, I won't believe it. Where else have you seen this type of interaction? Maybe it's you walking in the store and you hear a child typically yelling or screaming, Mommy, unless you buy me this toy, you don't love me. You have to prove your love by doing what I command. Now, we would never say a child giving an adult an ultimatum is appropriate. But what is Thomas doing? He is a man giving an ultimatum to God. I won't believe, I don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead unless he shows himself to me and I can put my hand in his. And we do the same thing with our doubts. 
There are times where we question God's commands, where it's written in God's Word in, in black and white, and yet we say, I am not going to follow this command unless God makes it abundantly clear to me in the way that I want to be told. Or there's hard times in our lives, and we say, God, unless you make this easier for me, I'm going to find my own solution. I'm going to live life the way that I want because this is too much to bear. You have given me too much to handle. The child giving the parent an ultimatum is wrong. Thomas giving God an ultimatum is wrong. And we should be fearful, and we should repent, and we should say we are wrong when we start giving God ultimatums. And what actions would we expect from Thomas to take with his doubt, with his unbelief, with his questioning? Sort of my question for Thomas is, why haven't you looked for an answer? Because we typically do it with such silly, stupid things. When you're in a conversation with your friends and you go, who was that actor in that movie, that main role? Was it, was it Thomas Cruise or Tom Harding? And it's not that you just sit there and go, well, I guess we'll never find out. <laughs> no, you pull out your phone, right? And you get an answer. You look for the answer. You search. You find but for some odd reason, we find that as an okay response to our questions about God. A lot of times we just go, I kind of have this doubt, kind of have this question, but I'll just, I won't, I don't know about an answer. I won't search. I won't seek. I don't believe that about the Bible. I don't believe that God would act this way. Okay, why? Have you searched? Have you examined? Have you pursued? And a lot of times when we ask that question, a lot of times, at least in my experience talking with people, they've said, no, I don't need to. I've seen my life. I know how I feel about this. And I say, can I show you some things that disagree with your stance? And they say, no, I've, I've, I know enough. When we don't search, when we seek and refuse to find answers, it indicates a life dominated by our own wisdom, of our own understanding. I have decided. I feel this way. This is the truth. And instead, we need to approach God with a way of saying, I need answers. I know my feelings are going to pass. And where is God in all of this? If you are skeptical this morning, I want to encourage you to keep seeking. I'm thankful that you are here because Jesus says, I have come to bring life. Keep seeking. Keep asking questions, especially when the wrong answer, the one that you don't acknowledge Jesus as the Savior, is one of eternal separation from Him. And that is why I have to say that I'm thankful for Thomas, and I'm thankful for those who make their doubts known, because it's actually going to be helpful for us to see how God handles doubts and allows doubts to be answered to be wrestled with, to be worked out. But too often for us, especially in the church, the typical way of responding to doubt and questions, especially of God, is in silence. It is a temptation as Christians to just keep the happy church face on, to say that everything is okay, to say, oh no, I've, I've never doubted God. I never struggle. And for the non-Christians, it's the temptation to say, I'm good. You know, they might be wrestling with hundreds of doubts, but they say, I don't actually want to wrestle with these questions. 
But both ways of handling it, both of, of concealing our doubts or of hiding our questions is one in which it's going to erode away at your heart and erode away at the hope and trust and relationship that you can have with God. Because much like sin, when we sin, we doubt and question God's goodness, and sin thrives in the dark. It is one of those things that if we keep it hidden, it keeps eroding away at us, and that is the same thing with our questions and doubts of God. It's much like our relationships that we have with each other. You don't look at relationships in your life and say, one second you're great friends and then the next it ends. No, it's typically an erosion of the relationship in which an argument isn't solved, in which there's questions of bitterness or questions of motives and so on and so forth. And eventually the relationship, if not pursued, if not sought out, is eroded away. And that's the same thing that will happen with our doubts and questions of God if we don't bring them before Him, if we hide them. So be honest with your questions and doubts. Don't let it erode away at the dark, but instead bring them to the light so they may be answered and they may be healed. We all doubt. Whether it is the reality of God or the goodness of God when we are tempted in sin. And typically we don't doubt well. We give God ultimatums, which is not our role and not the way that he answers doubts. And we settle on our own wisdom and understanding instead of seeking out answers to our questions and doubts. And a lot of us think, especially as Christians, that we are supposed to hide our doubts and questions. So if we all doubt and we handle doubt poorly, how does God respond to that doubt? How does God deal with our doubt? Well, how does God handle Thomas's doubt? Look at verse uh, 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now, if Jesus was the typical arrogant American, let's say male, how would he have responded? Thought I was dead, did you? I performed plenty of miracles, didn't I? You didn't want to believe this one? And yet, where is Thomas's position in all of this? Thomas is caught. Thomas is 100% wrong. And Thomas has to be in that moment trembling and, and beat red, blushing, just knowing as the saying goes, he is about to eat crow in front of the disciples and Jesus because he is dead wrong. But how does Jesus respond? It is not one of arrogance, but it is one of humility. And he says, peace be with you. Jesus knows. Jesus knows the guilt and the shame and the embarrassment that is being thrown upon Thomas at this moment. And he knows that Thomas has to be thinking through his mind, I have doubted. I was one of the disciples and I have doubted. And I am going to be cast out. And yet Jesus claims Thomas as his own. And he says, even in spite of your doubt, peace be with you. We are not enemies, but we are one. We are friends. We are brothers. Doubt, questioning, sin, that would all typically push anyone else away in this world is one that causes God to draw near. And before Thomas can even say anything, Jesus says, peace be with you. And Jesus does this with us as well. He provides peace because the whole reason why he came to this earth is to provide peace, to pursue us like he did with Thomas. And that pursuit led to the death 
on a cross where he pursued us so far that he bore our sin. He bore our guilt. He bore our judgment. He takes our doubts and questions with us to the cross and puts them to death. And he pursued us then and he pursues us now. When we sin, when we doubt, it is not one in which God looks at us and goes, gotcha. How dare you? What were you thinking? No, it is one in which God looks at us and when, he, when we see him, he goes, peace be with you. Even before we speak, God says, I know about the sin. I know about the doubts. I know about the questioning. But let me remind you of who I am and who you are to me. Peace be with you. And Jesus not only brings peace to Thomas's doubts, but in this story, Jesus actually shows Thomas and us that he has been with us the whole time because Jesus uses Thomas's own words to answer his doubt. Now, Thomas had to wait a week, and he had to suffer sort of under this doubt of this question of God, and yet the answer to his doubt comes with his own words. Jesus says, Thomas, come see what you've claimed that you've wanted to see, and doubt no more. See my hands. And even though Jesus physically wasn't there when Thomas gave his ultimatum, he knows exactly what Thomas said. It is as if Jesus is saying to Thomas, I have been with you the entire time. I have been here the whole time, and I am here with you now. Even though Thomas had to wait a week, wait on God's timing, even though Jesus, or even though Thomas didn't see Jesus until this moment, Jesus is expressing to Thomas and to us that he is with us. Even though we might not see him, even though we might not feel his presence, he is here. He is with us now. And I know that it is hard. There are times throughout my life that I wish I only had to wait a week for God's answer and God's comfort. A week seems like nothing. But God knows what we're going through. God knows our doubts. God knows our sins. And he pursues us. He says, I've been with you the whole time. I haven't left you on your own and just appear and, and leave again. But he says, I will be with you and I will never leave nor forsake you, even when you doubt. And what is the thing that ultimately overcomes Thomas's doubt? It is not him physically putting his hand in Jesus. It is not touching. It is not even him observing to make sure it's Jesus. No, he actually falls to the ground and he says, my Lord, my God. And he recognizes that Jesus is not Google. Jesus is not a statement of facts. Jesus is just not a textbook of evidence. But no, he actually falls to the ground and he recognizes that Jesus is life. Jesus is God. Jesus is his Savior. And it is not for us to study and observe and look at the text and go, I think there's some good points here. Let me apply them to my life. <laughs> no, it's actually saying right here that there is life that there is radical change of our hearts, that there is power, that there is a radically different world that is being presented here. Because what is being presented here is nothing like the world. In the world, it says, you do good, you're rewarded. You do bad, you are punished. And yet, in this, right here, is a radically different world in which it says, the God who should reject us because of our doubts and our sins and our questions instead says, peace be with you. A God who does not run away. A God who does not laugh at our doubts. A God who does not laugh at our questions. A God who does not 
go in the opposite direction, but a God who actually comes towards us and pursues us and says, I am here. Peace be with you. I am your Savior. So where's your doubt this morning? Is it in God? Then let me challenge you. Where are you going? What are you doing? Where do you place your hope? Ultimately, non-belief is also an act of faith. You can say, listen, the world simply exists, just a random happenstance. My life has happened just because of random things. Me sitting here this morning is a random act. That's an act of faith. But Thomas's doubts of the disciples and what they were saying was going to lead him to a dead man with no hope. Your explanation of your faith, of one where the world just simply exists, is one of no hope, no purpose, no meaning. But God is saying to you this morning, have hope. He knows your doubts, and he says, peace be with you. He has known you even before you were born. And he says, my purpose and your purpose will be found in me alone. Have hope this morning because a Savior has appeared to tell you to doubt no more, but see a love that has fully, fully come. He fully knows you. He fully loves you. Even in spite of all your weakness and shame and questioning and doubt, he says, I love you. And I know that I would rather live a life of hope than one of hopelessness. And if that is you this morning, then call out to Jesus. Recognize that you have probably been asking the wrong questions, that you have been giving the wrong ultimatums, that you have been sitting in your own wisdom, but say no more. Say, I need a God. I need a Savior. I need someone who will come and change my heart from my wickedness and doubts and from a life that I try to live on my own to a life that has been changed. We doubt poorly. But God handles our doubts. And God says, peace be with you in spite of doubt. And God says, I love you in spite of doubt. And God says, I am near in spite of doubt. So the question for us now is, how do we deal with our doubt? And some of you might be sitting here thinking, so what? All right, I don't doubt well. All right, if Jesus is real, then he handles my doubt well. So what? I still doubt. And on the one side, there might be you who have those questions of creation and, and those what you feel as logical questions where you go, uh, you know, hasn't science disproved Christianity? And for some of you, you're on the other side where it's more of an issue of the hardship of life and that it feels like there's been so many struggles that you say, I can't believe that a God would allow this much suffering in my life. So for those who believe how would you answer these questions? What do you say to yourself when you have these questions? Because there's a temptation to answer these two people in two radically different ways, to present answers to this person as if the Bible is a, a series of arguments or a science textbook, and there's the temptation to go on this side and say, no, 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 let me show you all the ways that God can provide comfort to help you to keep going on, keep holding on, keep staying strong. But how does the Bible actually respond to doubt? Look at John, uh, look at the end of the passage in uh, verse 30. 
Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What is the solution that is provided? It is not one where, hey, let me give you all the logical answers over here. And it is not one where, let me give you more comfort. And even in this right here, it says, we are not going to write down more signs. (laughs) You have enough signs right here. It is one in which the solution isn't to believe more or do better. What it needs and what we need to overcome our doubt is not necessarily the answers to the doubts themselves, but what we need is what has been revealed to Thomas and has been revealed to us that Jesus is Lord and God so that we may believe and have life. A real God has made contact between us and himself. And the purpose of this morning, the reason why we gather together, and the purpose of God's word is so that you may believe and have life. Not just answer to your doubts so that you slightly change your life of saying, oh, that's a good point. Let me just slightly do something a little bit better. But it's actually to radically change your life because your heart is then able to exclaim, my Lord and my God, change everything about me. And by believing you might have life. And do you realize that there is actually something for those who don't believe that I can't explain, and maybe you can explain to me, but I can't give a logical reason or proof to explain why millions of people around the world today are going to get up and leave the comfort of their own homes to gather together to worship an invisible God unless there is something more here, unless there is something that has overcome our doubts. And here's the thing, it doesn't overcome our doubts the way we expect because it's not like you're going to ask anyone who is a Christian and say, oh, well, I had 20 questions about God and I talked to another Christian and they, by the time they answered the 20th question, I was like, you know what? I think God's real. And it's not on this side where all of a sudden you were suffering and you were having a hard time and the person was providing comfort for you and saying, look how God can provide comfort. And they said, you know what? I think I'll try God rather than four hours of Netflix. All right, because neither one of those are the answers. Those aren't the things that overcome our doubts. All right, and my response to you this morning, if you are doubting, I am glad you're here. I don't want you to feel like I'm, I'm making fun of you at all. But I have to be honest with you, I probably haven't answered your doubts at all. <laughs> your questions, when I started this sermon saying that we're going to deal with doubt, you probably said, all right, I got plenty of doubts. I have plenty of questions. And you haven't answered a single one. And it's true. I haven't answered based on what you expect. But it's a lot like us going to the doctor when we take our doubts to God. When you go to the doctor for a routine exam and you say, my foot's kind of hurting, my back's sore when I wake up, and the doctor takes your blood pressure and he says, we got to get you to the hospital right now. You don't stop and say, well, wait a second, I have some questions about my foot and my back. No, you go to the hospital. And that's like this this morning. That if you don't believe in God, I'm saying to you, you need to get to the hospital. You need to get to the great physician. You need to get to Jesus. Because it is not the questions of creationism. It's not the questions of suffering. It is actually the eternal question of where are you going? What do you believe? What is going on? And what's happening in this passage is actually a revelation of saying, we want to provide you with something greater than your questions and answers 
We want to provide you life, a life full of joy, a life full of meaning, a life full of purpose, and an eternal one with the Savior. And my prayer for everyone that I meet is not that I would be the one to help them find God, but instead that they would be the one to call out to God saying, God, come find me. Because that is what he did for Thomas. He found him. And that is what my prayer is for you, that God would come find you and radically change your heart and that you would be able to exclaim, my Lord, my God. Now notice the solution has not been, don't doubt. It's much like saying, don't sin. Listen, don't sin. But we are prone to wander. Listen, don't doubt. But the darkness comes. So what do we do when we doubt? Don't give doubt a hold by giving in to the temptation of ultimatums and resting on your own wisdom. See that God promises peace when we even have doubts of him and that he has been with you the entire time, even in your doubt. And finally, remember that our doubts are not overcome by facts or good feelings or the right answers, but it's by a relationship with the Savior. So how did C.S. Lewis overcome his doubt? The silence he felt from God in the time of grief. He recognized that his faith had been a house of cards. He was going through the motions and doing the right things, but his relationship with God was not where it should be. And he realized what he needed most was Christ. And he wrote this about his desire for his wife, but more importantly, his desire for God. He said, I want joy, not something like her. A really good photo might become, in the end, a snare or an obstacle. And I need Christ, not something that resembles him. If you're approaching God, not as the goal, but as a road, not as the ends, but as a means, you're not really approaching him at all. Don't approach the Bible and God as the road or means to your questions. Approach them as the goal and the end to your searching. Find Christ, and you will find reassurance and hope and peace and resurrection. God is waiting, and he is ready to say, peace be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we struggle. We doubt. We doubt your goodness by sin. And we think that a lot of times it is your fault. A lot of times we give you the ultimatum. A lot of times we say, you need to solve this on your own. You need to prove to me why I should change. But that's not the way that this is done. You pursue us, you find us, you seek us out so that, not that we have answers to our doubts, not that we have answers to the questions that we were expecting, but instead you radically change our hearts so that we have a relationship we have a God who says, peace be with you. We have a God who says, I love you in spite of your sin, in spite of your doubts. We pray this morning that anyone who is struggling with doubts, that they recognize that it is not a single question. It is not something that if only I get this answer that I'll believe in God. No, there will always be another question. There will always be another doubt. But there can be an end to that searching by finding a relationship and eternal life with you. We pray that those who are with us who are skeptical, they feel welcomed because this is a place of doubts and a place of sin, but those are things that don't stay. It is a place where you come and heal and say, peace be with you.
Let that peace transcend all our understanding and all our own wisdom so that we see your glory above our own. In your name, amen.